Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's kind of difficult not to notice Calvin Arsenia. Calvin's a large person with a voice to match it, but he also plays an instrument not commonly seen on stage. When another producer described Calvin's music to me, the first thing she said was Calvin plays the harp. I stopped what I was doing and immediately started looking up his videos, and I noticed this huge personality that shined through his music. His powerful voice shines through the cinematography, and if you'd like to know what I'm talking about, I'll include some links at fox4kc.com. From Fox 4, Kansas City, this is the Crazeology Podcast. Calvin, I think the first thing that I wanted to ask you about is uh, you play the harp as your main instrument. Mm-hmm. And how come did how come you decided that you wanted to keep that aspect of the music? And why didn't you just kind of abandon it and go with, you know, the, the traditional rock music or pop music uh, instruments? Wow. I've never been asked that question before. And I think it's important because harps are heavy and expensive and hard (laughs) to keep in tune and kind of hard to play. But since, um, you know, probably halfway through the time of, since I've been sharing my music, my songs to to audiences, um, you know, in the early days I was mostly playing in coffee shops and in churches and, um, but uh, as a songwriter in coffee shops and like kind of those kinds of venues. And I got really, um, perturbed at having my most like beautiful moments and the songs that I was really proud of and the songs I was like looking for validation in and somebody ordering a double latte and a screaming espresso machine and a screaming child and people with headphones were studying their math books and their anatomy and and I just felt that I wanted to bring and elevate my my songs and my performances to be equal to how I felt about the songs and and equal to how I felt about you know how much I'd worked on the music and on my voice as well and so so I've I mean, for me the harp is a form of protection and it's a form of elevation and it's a form of um, doing something that is unconventional and just a little bit more than it ought to be and that's something that satisfies me as an artist what do you think the harp specifically adds to your live shows especially if you start using full bands and other stuff like that I mean, it's magic. It's just magic. (laughs) It's the sound of glitter. Um, The sound of glitter? (laughs) Is that really how you describe it? I mean, kind of, yeah. I mean, it just sounds like like celestial and and, 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 in such a way that no other instrument can do. Um, and, And there's just a lot of prestige and elegance there. And I think... Especially because of the, a lot of the subject matter of my work it tends to be pretty um, uh, sometimes awkward to talk about. Um, I that and and I want there to be this like grittiness to my work and to my live performances, and, and I want there to be you know I don't shave my face but once a week or like I never use a razor just a trimmer you know and I only paint my nails when I feel like it and they're always chipped and um, I'm usually wearing last night's glitter um, in the morning and <laughs> and and so there is there there is but I'm also wearing crowns and I'm also wearing um, you know beautiful garments that were handmade and. Um, um, and I'm also playing a harp, and so I feel like I, I really want I'm, I want to be open to to the messiness of life because being human is hard. But I also want to want everyone to feel like if if I'm an example of this, that even though life is messy, you can still be elegant and refined and beautiful, and and that and that no matter who you are, even if you're just a little kid from Olathe like I am, um, that you get to be as fancy as you want to be. What what have people said to you about uh, your performance and specifically using the harp uh, after after a show? Do they think that it adds to 
the persona of who you are? Do they think that it's just such a unique concept that it drew them in more? Or what are, are they just kind of like, oh, that's cool, you do it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times people, their main comment is that I was the first opera that they've ever seen. Um, and that is enough to me because, again, it's about permission to, to say that even if you don't necessarily fit the stereotype of a thing that you're passionate about, that you still get to do it because it's your life. And, and there, there, I had, you know, nightmares about living my life and coming to the end of my days and not having done the thing that I was really wanting to do. And so that's what fueled me to do it. But, but beyond that, the feedback, I don't know. I, I, I think sometimes I think it's a brand thing and people just expect to see it, but also, um, you know, I sing a lot differently when I'm playing harp as opposed to when I'm not playing an instrument or if I'm playing guitar or piano. My voice is totally different. Um, I, I tend to blend in with the harp. And I think over the years uh, that I've been playing now, um, that it's de- my, my style has adapted because of the instrument that I play. So I don't know if there's uh, like direct feedback of people saying, oh my gosh, I love you as a harpist, you know? Um, and, 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 and I think another part of that is because since I would be the first one or one of the first people that somebody has seen live playing the harp, that they don't have a lot of context for it. Now here's a secret. I'm not a great harpist. <laughs> and, and maybe that isn't a secret, but I mean, I, I didn't grow up playing and I started playing when I was 20 years old and, um, and I was just, I just wanted, I wanted to sing to harp music and, um, and I was inspired by Florence and the Machines and Joanna Newsom and, um, Bjork's Vespertine. And, um, and so if you go online and you look up classical harpists, you're going to find some very, very impressive, amazing artists and artisans and, 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 and people who have multiple degrees in it, you know, um, that's not my story. That's not my lane. Um, what I want to bring to the harp is showing that it is relevant and that it is dynamic and that it is, um, that it is not too good for you. It's not too good for me. And, and that, and that whatever it is that you dream of or that you have aspirations of doing in your life, um, go for it. Did you play other instruments before? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, I played guitar and piano before. What was that transition like then? Um, awkward, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, when I was kind of moving over to the harp, I, I remember playing my first set of, of three songs in a row. As I was at an open mic night in Edinburgh, Scotland, at a bar called The Regent. And the um, and I remember my hands were tremoring um, as I was trying to, to get through these these songs, and um, and on a guitar you can hold the neck of the body and you hold you know rest your arm on on the or you, you hold your hand on the neck and the body and you can kind of rest your hands there and then with the piano you can kind of rest your hands on the keys. Um, without t- playing them but on a harp you rest your fingers on the strings and so if you're shaking uh, it's it's very uh, um, you're not doing you can't you can't just shake on the harp so um, so yeah it was very embarrassing um, and uh, but again nobody really noticed because they, they don't know they didn't know they don't know what it's supposed to be like you know um, but at the same time I started playing guitar and piano in church and um, my church situation was a lot of impro- improvisation, a lot of um, worship teams that were made up of, of like 40 people that like kind of staffed uh, uh, the worship service throughout the month or throughout a two-month rotation. So I got really used to playing with lots of musicians and, and in different kinds of um, uh, mixes of people, um, whether it be me solo on a piano or me solo on, 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 on a guitar or with two guitarists and blah, 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 drummers, bass, you know, eight singers, two singers. I, I did it all for and, and, and often changing. And so I feel... Um, I w- and at the time, I was reading a lot of like chord charts, right? So it's just like the the the, the, the lyrics with the little letters on top of mm-hmm. the lyrics, and um, and so I, I've taken that kind of concept of being very flexible and fluid and a lot of improvisation um, over from the piano guitar into my harp world, which I think is something unique that I do. I want to go back to something you said just a minute ago because uh, I saw in, in a different interview that you've done that there is a a version of you that's pre-Scotland and post-Scotland. <laughs> yeah. What were you like in pre-Scotland and who are you now post-Scotland? I think I was 
um, before Scotland, I was very, I was very shy. It was very sweet. Um, and I was afraid to ever vocalize any kinds of opinions that could be disagreed with. Um, I was, I was ashamed of my voice in ways. I, I think, you know, if people from that time would hear me say that, they'd be surprised by that. But I, I had, you know, it's, it's amazing how one or two words from somebody of criticism um, can follow you. And so I was afraid of of singing, and I would never. Even still, I'm having like revelations of like, wait, I think, I think I like singing, <laughs> and I think I might be good at it. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I see people that are like on Broadway or like pop stars and stuff like that, and I'm just like, man, like I like I can't do that. Um, uh, but 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 at the same time, what I what I re- uh, before I was in Scotland, I studied classical voice. And did a lot of um, opera style of things, right? And that was kind of my focus. When I went to Scotland, I realized that people and audiences are much less concerned about the the perfection of your technique. And this is all audiences. They're much less concerned about the perfection of your technique and more about your heart, your intention, your story, and your vulnerability. And people, I mean, it's it's as shocking as seeing a contortionist bend their body or as a sword swallower swallow a blade as it is to see a grown adult bearing their soul and being vulnerable it's it's even more shocking and so i feel that in some ways i learned how to be an emotional exhibitionist on the stages in scotland and i performed there for i mean i probably did 200 300 shows. I mean, I did multiple shows a day sometimes when I was there and, and always five or six a week. And so, and I lived there for two years and, and I just like, I refined, I refined, um, the core of, of what I do, which is about sharing my heart and, and doing it in a way that scares me. And if it doesn't scare me, then it doesn't matter to the audience. I want to talk about one of those songs. that's kind of a post Scotland, you, uh, equally, Um, what's the story behind this? And I hear, you know, there's a lot of people that really enjoy this song. And, and what do you think that they, they take away from it? You know, I, I, it's, I don't know. It's just really funny. I don't, I don't perform that song, uh, really just because I, I need a lot of percussion and a couple soloists for that one that I can't just pull it off with a harp. Um, I used to do it when I first, um, wrote it, I did it with a looping station, um, and so there were more layers and things, but um, but the the lyrics are kind of about just like visceral masculine sexuality and 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 like how hot it is for a guy to just be good at what they do, whatever that thing is, and that it's not about romance. And I feel like I'm always trying to write songs that I feel aren't existing already. I don't. We don't need to reinvent wheels. But I haven't heard a song that really like embodied that like. <clears throat> You know, um, <laughs> like yeah, you use that saw, <laughs> and, <laughs> and yeah, you change that oil. You know, like it's just like whenever, like, yeah, whenever a, a, a man is really w- like working with his hands in the element, it's just like if they can if they can figure that out, then they can probably figure me out. All right, let's check it out. This is um, equally by Calvin Arsenia.
If you're enjoying this episode of Crazeology, make sure to click subscribe to keep up with new episodes. You can also like us on Facebook. Just search Crazeology. You can find more podcasts from Fox 4 at fox4kc.com. Now, let's get back to my conversation with Calvin Arsenia. You talk a lot about in your music about uh, sexuality, religion, race, um, a lot of things that people would say to stay away from in a normal conversation. Um, as someone who identifies as gay, why was it important for you to like bring these aspects into your the lyrics and the and the, the music? Yeah, I think this relates also back to the, the whole post Scotland thing. If, it, while I was there too, I I decided that I was I was done being ashamed of myself, and and these are those subjects are things that i deal with on a daily basis and 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 all places or all of those things were things that i have at some point or another experienced shame in and so as a as a radical act against my own personal shame that i also believe based on the response of other people that other people also experience these areas of shame um I don't want to be ashamed for having been a Christian. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be ashamed for for believing that there is more than meets the eye. Um, although I don't necessarily subscribe to to the Western Church anymore, um, I don't want to be ashamed for having experienced homosexual attraction or same sex attraction. Um, even if I wasn't acting on it or, or pursuing romantic relationships, I think it's just a, a human experience. And and the way, th- rather than trying to battle in the form of, or in the, the arena of politics, because politics often follow public opinion. Mm-hmm. That's how you get votes. That how do you humanize people who have been ostracized except for building bridges of empathy between groups of people? And how do you build empathy? You tell stories because nobody can argue with your story. So I'm a complicated being. I'm a, I'm 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 ending my twenties. I'm about to turn thirty. Um, I I love music and I love food and I love I love art and painting and culture. I love to laugh and I love to I love to cook for my friends. And I'm also gay, and and I deserve to live and I deserve to have you know, a, a beautiful life. And so does everyone who's like me in whatever way, you know, and I'm also of African descent and I'm also of Celtic descent and, and Scandinavian descent. And, but in America I present as black. <laughs> and so there are lots of, but there are lots of things that, um, that, that have been places of, of shame in my life. And I think in my work, you know, the stage for me has always been a place of freedom. It's been a sanctuary. And it's because 
a step out on stage and the, and the 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 agreement that you have the social agreement you have with the audience is that they sit and stay quiet and when you're done they clap <laughs> so 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 I'm going to go on stage tell my truth as it is as shocking and beautiful as that can be they clap and see me as a human and i hope that that means that they see other people who are like me as human as well you use the word shame a lot there of kind of describing how you were feeling at the time mm-hmm. how were you able to kind of get past that and what would you say to people who may be trying to or who are maybe experiencing those kinds of thoughts and th- mm-hmm. that kind of self doubt of beco- expressing who they truly are to everyone yeah um there was a, a moment when I was walking down Leith Walk in Edinburgh and I was really sad. I don't think that I have personally ever been suicidal, but I definitely have felt the desire to just dissolve and just just poof, you know. And and I was praying and and I said, God, you said the truth will set us free. And the truth is, I like guys. <laughs> and if you want to do something about it, go for it. But until then, here I am, and this is me. And I think that it is not up to anyone of us, it's not up to anyone to have to speak for or answer to other people for how we decide to live our lives, as long as we're not hurting other people. And... And life is really short. And shorter for some than others. And I would have regretted, I would regret not having lived a life that I felt was fulfilling, having to endure all of the hardship that just comes with being existing, you know, with existing at all. And then having had no delight in the midst of it, like, that's no, I'm just, that's not an option. So... I would have much rather found a beautiful community that accepted me and loved me for who I am than, than, to, than to live um, a, a cheaper version of what life is. And I would suggest um, that there are billions of people on this planet and that there is a community for you and some people that will love you and take you as you are and watch you flourish. Do you think that the church had any role in, not specifically your church, but the overall concept of the mm-hmm. church had any had a specific role in you feeling some of those thoughts? Oh, or absolutely. I'm, uh, it's something that I, that I haven't talked about a lot, but I've been revisiting recently with friends. But when I was in high school, um, there was a, a, a very prominent church that whose whose uh, pastor was very outspoken against homosexuality. I mean, this is the time when the votes were happening about gay marriage and things, and and so the, it was the the common thread in in American churches to really be bashing and and calling out homosexuals, and um, and this pastor in particular, who was on TV and teaching conferences in front of thousands of people. Um, got called out because he was he was using the services of a male escort, and that male escort saw him on TV saying things against homosexuality, and then called in and said, "No, that's my client, basically," and he doesn't get to say that. And I watched as the global church gave out a deep moan and sigh, and w- walked him out the door. You know. And, 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 and everyone was talking about it and everyone in my community was shaming him and we were mourning, you know? And I was just like, wow, I can never let that happen to me. <laughs> because at the time I was, I was, you know, I was getting more and more attention for my, my singing in churches and, and, my, and my work as a worship leader. And, and, I, and again, I just I could never foresee in my future a time in which I could bear the weight of having the hatred of all of these people who said that they loved me, but they only loved my, my, my agreement to their ideas. 
mm-hmm. and and that would be that was the only thing that we had in common and um and so um yeah i think i i i i've experienced shame on other people's behalf and i've and i have shamed other people or because of collective kind of uh crowd mentality you know um and I just, yeah, at, the, at a point I just decided that I wasn't going to engage in that game anymore. I wasn't going to be the recipient of it and I wasn't going to be the administer, administrator of it either. Yeah. What was it like for you or what did it feel like for you to walk away from this, you know, this concept of a church that has been a big part of your life until, you know, you finally decided that it wasn't, I don't know if... I don't want to put words in your mouth, you know, it, maybe not healthy or maybe mm. not, uh, uh, it wasn't it, working. Yeah, it wasn't working. So <laughs> kind of what was, did you, did it hurt? You know, oh, was gosh. there a lot of pain there? Or? Absolutely. I mean, again, like I, I, you, you go to church and, and you, and you invest in a specific community, uh, for years, for years and years. And I was sure I was a young person and I still am, but like, when you spend as a 20 year old five years in a community, that's a lot of your life. Mm-hmm. And, and then having to just swallow and accept the fact that if you decide to question anything, that it's like, it's, 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 it's grounds for your removal. That's terrifying. And, and so, I mean, how, how I kind of came through that process, um, was, was that I found, uh, I found a new community first here in Kansas city and I found new friends first and I was open with them and I shared my story with them and they received me and, um, and kind of little by little, I just stopped showing up to the other community and to the church and, um, and and but still to this day, like again, I also don't want to feel shame for for having been a part of that or right. like because that's another thing because like in, inside of liberal communities sometimes it's like oh we hate everything that's Christian and it's like actually no that's a part of my how I came to this life right. you know and 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 I don't want to ever be a hypocrite <laughs> and so and so you know accepting people's worldview and accepting people as they are is something that is a challenge and is something that is radical if you do it right. Um, uh, and, and so I still, you know, I just released a Christmas record and I still play in churches because I think that churches are like people that there are really good ones and really bad ones. And there are churches that do great things for people. Um, I think they're rare just like good people are rare <laughs> and and um and so yeah you're more likely to find somebody who to find an individual who is jaded and resentful and selfish than you are going to find somebody who's generous and loving and kind and but both of them are out there and so yeah i think i think it's important to to acknowledge both of those things one of your songs that kind of has a lot of this stuff that we've been talking about uh, deep inside of it is tiptoe. Um, and I, I read somewhere that when you're performing it recently, you said you're scared every time you play it. <laughs> what, what scares you about the song and like what, what, what should people take away from this? I mean, so the, 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 the narrative of the, of the song is you've had a recent breakup with somebody that, that you've adored, maybe still adore. And people in the, in the community, people in, 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 in at the bars scene or wherever your scene is, whatever the scene is, they know you as a couple. And so it's fresh. The breakup is fresh. You walk into the bar and you have, to, and, and not only is the breakup fresh, but it was a product of a ghosting situation, <laughs> right? Or, 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 or like, or just like really quick. And there wasn't a lot of explanation. We didn't. So, so in, in my life, in my personal story, there was no discussion about what I was supposed to tell people when I saw them and they asked about him. And so I just didn't want to go to the places that I normally would go to. And, 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 and in particular, um, even driving down streets. And so I was, 
I wrote the song while I was driving um, on my way home one night, and I took an alternate route to to my house to avoid the place where he worked because I didn't want to know if he was working then or not. And I would always look, you know, if I was passing. And and so I, I drove I drove blocks out of the way, <laughs> so I wouldn't know, so I wouldn't think about it. And there's like the the phrase "methinks she doth protest too much," you know, where it's <laughs> like it's like I, I'm doing all of this effort to just not think about him, and at the same time, all of that effort means that I'm obsessing, you know. And and so yeah, so tiptoe is like it's like I can't participate in my regular life anymore, or I don't feel like I can because I'm ashamed that this didn't work out, and I don't want to talk about it because you didn't tell me we didn't agree because you might be telling somebody this story, right. and I have a different vantage point of it, and I don't want to make anyone dislike you, but I also don't want there to be this like dissonance or this uh, this uh, you know uh, two different stories coming out and people thinking that I'm the one that's lying, and so. <laughs> And so rather than even talking about it, I just want to tiptoe around and I want to take blocks outside of the way so, you know, so that nobody ever thinks that I'm trying to do anything. You know, I want to, I want to be blameless in the situation. And, um, and, but, but what I have seen after performing that song in, in 10 different countries and nine different languages that, that everyone has felt this before and it seems petty, but it's universal it's hard for me to admit and I've been singing it for years and cause I want to be above that and everyone wants to be above that. But, but I think talking about something, you know, man, you can't manage something unless you can talk about it. So let's talk about it so we can manage it. And, um, and there's no need to feel ashamed about something that didn't work out. And, and that's just life being human is messy. So, um, so I'm practicing on stage. I let's sing this song for my real life <laughs> and um, and that's and that's why it's that's why it's scary every time <laughs> let's check it out this is uh, Tiptoe off the 2019 album Honeydew Well, I don't know. We don't talk anymore. We don't talk anymore. 
I wanted to ask you about, um, you also put out this year in 2019, uh, an EP, the LA sessions, and there seems to be just a, a different sound. You know, there's, um, a little more bluesy, a little more guitar. Was that your concept and you evolving or is that just the people you're working with now? Or how did that, how did this EP kind of all come together? I had a meeting with my label, Center Cut Records, and um, around the time that I was um, negotiating a contract. And they asked me, what do you want to do? Like, what's your dream? What's a dream you have? And trust me, I have many. <laughs> but one of them was to, was to go out to either LA or New York, work with some studio musicians who, who don't have emotional stake in, in me and see what happens. And, um, and so, um, James Andrews, um, the, the, um, president of the company, um, reached out to some of his connections and we found, um, Tony Braunigal, who was the producer and, and percussionist on the album, uh, who is Grammy award winning and all of his friends are Grammy award winning and have played with some heavy hitters and and we discussed it and and I was just thinking I want to I want to do something that I can't do in Kansas City or that I wouldn't be able to do in Kansas City that I wouldn't be able to do with my pals you know in the studio and like and and to create um to do it to do it in a way that I haven't done it before because I'm used to being in the studio layering things having a few weeks to to kind of etch things out and make it sound like I want to the LA sessions the, the majority of that work was done live together and and that was a brand new experience um in the same room you know and and um and the, the yeah the musicians like they, they just I mean the funny thing is is that it, immediately upon playing music together there was emotional stake in it <laughs> because they're amazing musicians right and had they been kind of like cookie cutter plastic there for the for the money like they wouldn't have gotten to the point in their careers that they are in I mean these men have played with Jimi Hendrix and and Michael Jackson and Etta James and you know like insane people you know right. Um, and, and I, and, and I learned very quickly why it's because they put their heart in everything they do. And, and I feel very privileged and lucky to have been given that opportunity to work with these guys. And, um, yeah, and it's a totally different sound than, than a lot of done before, but at the same time, music is universal. And, and when you do it right, it, it, it feels good, you know, and you don't need to have years of, 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 um, of investment into a friendship to to feel good with playing with a person who is full of generosity in their heart. You know, you, you just get to know somebody when they play, and when you play with them. And I'm really proud of that of that EP. Was it intimidating at all, even though you wrote the songs when you're approaching these or when you're talking with these other artists about um, how 
you expect them to play something compared to what they're doing? Or is it one where you just felt like, this is my song, I wrote it, if I don't like what he's doing, I'm going to say something? <laughs> I mean, what do you think? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think it's actually some, it's, it's, it's neither of those things. Uh, it was such a pleasure because I felt like when I walked into that room and I started talking to them about the songs, they were all ears. They were listening to me. And they were so humble and like approachable. And we were joking around and like, just like, you know, it was great. Um, I love those guys. And, um, and I, what I felt in, in my heart was a, an immediate sense of camaraderie to to chase down the muses wherever they take us and and to let the song like like they they we we were all lined up together viewing the song as a team as as a as a as a group or as a you know like I was standing with them in line with them let's let's look at this thing that the muses have delivered to me or delivered to the earth through me and it's not it, at that point. It's not even about me or my ego. It's about the song and the moment we have together to record. And and so I felt like I was I was I was yes the vocalist and yeah sure I wrote the song but or the song came through me but we together stood and 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 worked on that together and and it was such a pleasure that you know nobody was like. I have to have this guitar solo, or I need to be in this part. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 blah. It was about how do we make this song feel like it's complete and, and that it has been delivered safely into this planet. <laughs> was it tough for you at all to give up some of that creative control working with a producer that you hadn't really worked with or you hadn't worked with in the past? I don't think it was tough. I like changing up things. Mm. I love to see how a song can look in a different outfit. I I find it really exciting. And um so difficult is not is not the word. I I mean every time I play on stage I play it differently and I've and I've sung songs thousands of times and I always try to change it up and 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 to tailor the specific space in which we're in and the, and the studio is no different. It's another performance space. There's a spirit there. There's something that I'm chasing there, and and uh, and and the, and the point of recording is to is to make this moment live for forever, not one that has been immaculately crafted necessarily, but just this one. And um, so, yeah, no, not difficult. <laughs> Let's talk about um, one of the songs off that uh, LA session, uh, "Dying." Um, kind of a a, a rough. You know, when someone just sees the name of a song as dying, they're going to get some sort of interpretation. Uh, what do you What do you think? What did you write it as? Or what is this? What does it mean to you? Um, so, di- dying is all about. It's just it's just a, it's it's a it's a call for love. It's it's a plea to say I love you so much, and and I I I need to be with you, and. And no is an acceptable answer if you want me to die. <laughs> and um, and um, yeah, and it's just it's just it's just about that feeling of of that the, that the stakes are high when 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 you are so madly in love with somebody and want to be with them and want to be around them and want to want to cherish them and be cherished by them and that like you don't need oxygen you don't need water you don't need food you don't need sleep you just need the person and and again we've all been there um and so yeah dying dying is about that feeling that feeling is terrible it's like someone punched you through the chest and started squeezing your heart That feeling that is probably different for everyone, but it's impossible to describe. A hope for love, but it turns out way different than you expected. Yeah, that feeling. But told in a funky, groovy, bluesy gospel sound. This is Dying by Calvin Arsenia. You'll have to scrape me off the ground. All these lies been bringing me down Been forced to act like I don't care 
But I've been bleeding everywhere And now I'm dying I'm dying to love you Yes, it's true Last thing I think I wanted to ask you about is you've taken on some unique, uh, you've taken on some covers and made very unique uh, songs out of them, and and you even put them on the albums. How come you decided you wanted to take um, other people's songs, recreate them into your own sound, and then include it in the albums where it's it's also your original music? Hmm. I don't know. I just like them. Um, I mean, I perform a lot of covers, and the reason why I perform them live is because they they allow for a bridge into into the like an artist's world. Whereas sometimes original song after original song after original song can be very uh, alienating to somebody who is looking for a sense of familiarity. Mm-hmm. And so, so when when I'm on the road specifically and playing for audiences that are brand new, I always throw in a couple covers for that. Toxic was was um, something that I kind of started playing a few years ago, and the response has been insane um but i what i did it i did it in a way that was in, in a six eight time or a three divided by three and um and slowed it down a little bit and i really wanted to perform a song that was very sexy on the harp and that again sexuality not just homosexuality but sexuality at all was always a point of shame i mean growing up girls would get knocked up at 14, 15 years old and you never see them again. They wouldn't come to church anymore, ever, you know? And so 
so the idea of, of sex outside of marriage in particular um, was a huge point of shame in, in my world. And so kind of how do I battle that? Well, I battled that on stage by singing about sexuality and sex on stage and, 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 and then getting around applause for it. <laughs> and so I started singing Toxic and people loved it. And, and it's been a really nice awakening to, to be on stage and to not feel like it is, uh, that it's going to be the, the cause of my, of my excommunication. And, um, and, uh, and so, and and there are other 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 songs are similar to that, where it's like, you know, I love this song. I feel like I've experienced this song in my heart. It doesn't feel like I'm covering somebody else. It feels like I've I've experienced it, you know, and um, and it builds a bridge of empathy or it builds a bridge of of connection between myself and and an audience that would have already loved this song. And so, covers are are really important in that sense. And so, since the recordings or since the the performance of the or the delivery of the song is so much different than the original, um, I f- and the audiences want it and they ask for it and so I put it on my records the video that you did for Toxic specifically also very interesting kind of very different from the Britney Spears take on it was that your idea was this somebody you were working with's idea and how did you kind of come up with why you wanted to work the video yeah the the concept for Toxic the video I I feel that at the time, specifically too, I was just a little bit over talking about my personal relationships and I didn't want to stage a, um, a romantic relationship in the video. I felt we've already seen that story played a billion times and, and what's going to be, what what is actually in my life right now, because I wasn't seeing anybody at the time, what is in my life right now, the thing that causes me to be so arrested and so like caught up and so... Um, that same feeling of dying, you know, I'm I, like, I, ugh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm being overtaken by this feeling and I don't know what else to do. And, and for me, it's, it's always been music and, and, and the music tells me to surrender and the muses make me surrender and the music brings me to my knees and, 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 um, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, um, I wanted to. I wanted the video to depict the story of of being like a slave to creativity, and 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 having to and being totally intoxicated by by the muses and wooed and and abused, and um, you know, do do the thing. You know, I feel like like it's not necessarily people in my life that that are like you know dance monkey dance, but it's definitely the muses, and um, luckily I like it. <laughs> So what's next then? You know, obviously, are you going to try and do more of the LA session stuff? Are you going to try and bounce back into a different form? Or what do you think is going to be the next step for um, for your career? Well, right now, I'm currently raising raising money for uh, a, a new harp. That's an orchestral harp rather than the Celtic one that I've been been playing for years. Um, the harps that I've gotten the chance to play have all been borrowed so far, and um, and so I felt that um, not only do I want to own a harp of my own, but I want it to be a grand orchestral harp so that I can play with symphonies and, and write and arrange music for symphony and, and jazz and kind of more avant-garde work. Um, as of a couple of days ago, I was at 44% of what I needed to raise for that, and I only opened up the campaign like a week ago. Oh, wow. Um, and harps... Uh, I'm raising thirty grand for this harp, so I had one specific donor who donated ten thousand dollars, and I'm just like so beyond amazed wow. and um, grateful for that person. Um, I want to continue to 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 raise and elevate vulnerability and the full spectrum, the full spectrum of the of the human experience that that the whole thing is holy and that the whole thing is messy and that you're allowed to feel everything that you feel. There's no shame in feeling. It's what you do with those feelings. And it is much more a disgrace, I think, 
to not live your full truth than it is to be to be silent. Life is precious, and we should live it to the fullest extent. And um, the way that I know how to do that is through flaunting on stage and being vulnerable and exposing my emotions and and doing whatever I can to get to that scary place. Because if I can talk about it, then I can manage it, and that's and that's why. That's what I do, and that's why I have done it, and that's what I'm going to continue to do. That's it for this episode of Crazeology. Today's episode was produced by myself, Kendall Swank, with production assistance and editing by Jacob Orlowski. To hear more episodes, you can head over to fox4kc.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, this is Cantaloupe by Calvin Arsenia.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 